All right, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles right now to Psalm, Psalm chapter 139, Psalm chapter 139. Psalm, I think, was actually one of those books when I was younger, like the book of Job, I used to say the book of Job, I don't know about you, and then Psalm, I think, used to say the book of Palm before, I don't know, I don't know if anybody else was like that, but that's what I used to think when I was younger, but we're going to be in that book tonight, Psalm chapter 139, I still can't get over the fact that Brother Woodard chose to leave when I was preaching. It doesn't surprise me. But once again, Brother Woodard, you better be listening to every single word. Because if you're going to critique it, I'm going to critique you and see how much you're paying attention. All right? So Psalm chapter 139. We're going to read starting off with two verses here. And then we'll get into what I believe God has for us here tonight. I do want to just start off with uh, just saying uh, I thank the Lord once again for every opportunity I do have uh, to present his word. And man, by his grace... uh, my life first, I, I am what I am, and that grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And I just want to thank the Lord uh, every opportunity I, I have a chance publicly. I just want to encourage you as well um, to follow the Lord's will for your life. Um, it is the most satisfying thing that you can do, fulfilling thing you can do in your life. And I just always can't get over the fact that sometimes I'm here doing this, um, you know, God using a high school dropout and a shy kid who doesn't like to talk, <laughs> and now this is what I'm doing, and uh, it just, God is just has a sense of humor with that too, but I just praise the Lord for that, that I just want to encourage you uh, at every opportunity I get, follow the Lord's will for your life. It, it will never lead you astray. God knows exactly what he's doing, so uh, I just want to start off with that, and I, and I also want to say too, that tonight's message is going to be geared. I know we got revival coming up here for our school, and then we also have revival coming up uh, with Dr. Alton Beal and, and Dr. Ron Comfort here, and we're excited for that September the 26th to start. And so this message is really going to be geared towards that. I know it's. I know we got that first one for OCA, and then the one after that. Um, but tonight's message really is just. Uh, I've entitled it just "Search Me, O God," directly from the text that we're going to read here in just a, just a few moments. But "Search Me, O God," and I just want to encourage every one of us here tonight that as we come into revival, that I hope that the things you hear tonight, and at least the perspective that I'm going to give it here to you tonight through God's grace, will hopefully be a blessing and encouragement for you as it was for me. All right. So let's go to Psalm chapter 139. Look at verse number 23 with me. Psalm 139, verse 23. If you're there, say amen. 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 All right. It says this. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way. Any wicked way. Notice that. Any wicked way in me. And lead me. In the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you once again for the opportunity to uh, preach your word, Lord. And this is a very, very big responsibility. And so I just pray that through your Holy Spirit that I know I already have, that he would just speak through me, Lord. That you'd use me just as an instrument to preach, thus saith the Lord. And Lord, what you've put here on my heart, I pray that uh, I'd be able to speak it with clarity. That this, this would be something for the church here tonight, this congregation, that they'd be able to see that you put on my heart, that you're teaching me, and that we can all here just start preparing and have this mindset as we go into revival. And hopefully, as a result, it can make a difference with these upcoming revival services that we would leave different and not the same, Father. And so I just pray that as David prayed this prayer, I also pray for us here tonight that you would search us, Lord. 
you know us inside out. Lord, reveal to us any, any wicked way in us, Lord, anything that's going to hinder us from revival. I pray that you'd search us, Lord, here tonight even. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I do want to start off by asking you all this question here. How many of you have ever misplaced something or lost something before? Anybody ever misplaced something? And I'm not going into the keys. I already told you about that one where I lose my keys all the time. And I don't know if I told you guys, but my neighbor, uh, Mr. Joe Corley, my neighbor was actually listening to that message where I talked about remembering not to forget. And he heard that I forgot my keys on, on that very next, I think it was morning or, or night, we came home and there was, there was a magnetic thing that you put under your car where you set your keys so you don't forget. And he was listening and, and he's like, great message last night. I was like, oh, thank you. But that's not what I'm talking about is forgetting cars. But listen, there are many things that we've mis- misplaced before. I, of all people, and, and you can ask my wife, and I'm going to give you an example here of something that would kind of occur maybe in our household here. And uh, if you're like me, if you're anything like me, you might ask the question if you've ever lost something or misplaced something where you, I go to my wife, I said, hey, wife, right? Do you know where the tape is? Okay, you say tape. This is just something basic, okay? Do you know where the tape is? Uh, and she would respond something along the lines of, well, it's in the kitchen drawer. Okay, I said, all right, so do you know where the tape is? She tells me it's in the kitchen drawer. And so what do I do? I go to the kitchen drawer. I open it up, look, right? And then what do I say? I don't see it from across the room because she's not in the kitchen. I say, I don't see it. It's not here. And so I go to her and she says, well, did you look? And of course, what do I say? Yes, of course I looked. Of course I looked. What do you think? I just went to the kitchen door, looked at it, and then walked. No, I opened it, I looked, and it wasn't there. A typical thing, right? And so what does she do after I say that? Anybody have guesses? What do you think she does? She goes, she, exactly, she goes. It's like you all have done this before. She goes to the kitchen drawer, she opens it in about one second. It's all, it's like one second. Every time I'm like, here it is. And I'm like, and I was looking, I'm like, where'd you find it? In the kitchen drawer. Like I said, it was, where it's going to be. And I'm like, but I looked in the kitchen drawer. And then of course she ends it with the response. Well, apparently you didn't look hard enough. Man, I can't tell you how many times that has happened in our lives. And look, she, she's about, you can ask her. She knows. I've done this so many times where I've just misplaced something. I ask her where it's at. She tells me where it's, where it's at. I look. I don't find it. She comes. She finds it in a second. And that's just me typically. And some, sometimes it's just us naturally. You know, every one of us has been in that point before where we've lost something. We misplaced something. And when we look, if you're like me, sometimes you don't look very thorough. You don't look very thorough, but uh, however, I'm learning to be every day. The more, the more I'm learning, okay, before I ask her where it's at, I'm going to look thorough here so that she doesn't come and find it in, in like that situation. But I'm not very thorough, but I'm learning to be. And sometimes, if you think about that situation, sometimes it just takes the eyes of another person, right? Just like on Sunday mornings or Sunday evenings, Pastor, about when we announce visitations, or not visitation, but we look for visitors, Right? I'm, I'm surprised you haven't fired me yet because I'm doing a bad job at looking. But sometimes, look, pastor, he needs help seeing any hands that are raised and I'm here. And sometimes you just need this, another set of eyes. Uh, mine isn't the best, but he, he uses me to try to help uh, find somebody. And you need another set of eyes sometimes just to figure out where something is, what you've misplaced. And let me ask you this question. You know, we ask ourselves, or you may be asked a question, are you right with God? It's a typical question that we ought to be asking ourselves, by the way. Am I right with God or are you right with God? It's a good question. However, 
The answer to that question can only be seriously correct and found when you let God do the searching and God give the answer. Because I can assure you that most of every single one of us, and we'll see here some scripture to prove this, will proclaim our own goodness. Every one of us. We know, we ask ourselves, am I right with God? Are you right with God? But with God, it's going to take, if, if apart from God, I promise you, if you try to answer that question apart from God, you will not get a right answer. You won't. You might be able to tell yourself, you might be confident, but apart from God, unless God gives you the answer, you will never know if it's right or wrong. You'll never know if you truly are right with God or you truly are wrong with God. And we want to know. I want to know. I want to know the answer to that question. Am I right with you, God? You probably want to know the answer to that question. Am I right with God? Every single one of us want to know. But apart from God, we can't find it. And here's the question. Why? Why is it that we cannot find the answer to that question apart from God? The reason why is because we're living in a generation today that's lost its standard for good and bad. That's why. And as Pastor said this morning, we're living seriously in the generation. This is nothing new. This has been going on for a while. But we're living in this generation of Isaiah 5, a pastor said this morning, that says this, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Verse 21 says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight, the Bible says. In other words, this verse is saying we live in a generation that has confused our ethical categories. It's confused. We've classified actions, all of us, we've classified actions as evil that God would call good and vice versa. In verse 21, when it says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight, we've also become in this generation what's called self-governing. In other words, we say, I'm in charge of my life, and I don't really care what God has to say about that. We've lost our standard for good and evil. The Word of God has no longer become our authority for rule and practice in all areas of our life. And Solomon understood that. But that's the reason why you and I can never get a for sure answer to that question, am I right with God? And as revival comes up, it's the point is to be knowing that I'm right with God. That I am where I should be that I am with God in my relationship with Him. And if I'm not, how do I get there? And this question here that we're asking can only be found through the searching of God in our lives. Why? Because once again, that good and bad has been blurred. You say, what do you mean? Well, you and I typically tend to just justify the things that we do. We like to say that we're right with God based on our own standards and we leave God out of it. Now, for the next couple of moments, I want to look at the book of Proverbs here. And I'm going to ask that you actually turn with me here. So go to Proverbs chapter number 3. Solomon understood how blurred good and bad was. How many people call evil good and good evil and vice versa. And this kind of generation, it's going to be extremely hard to find out if you're right with God if you don't go to God for the answer to that question. Solomon, which is the wisest man according to the Bible who ever lived, knew about this, and he saw this in his lifetime, and he wrote it down by God's inspiration, through God's grace. And I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter number 3. Proverbs chapter number 3. I want to show you through the book of Proverbs and explain this a little bit more and give you a different perspective before we go back to Psalm 139. But Proverbs chapter number 3, look with me at verse number 5. It says this, it says, trust in the Lord, and we all know this verse, trust, trust in the Lord 
with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Notice all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now here's one that we just read from Isaiah that's repeated in Proverbs 3. Look at verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes, like it just said in Isaiah. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. According to the verse, Solomon is saying we must not lean on our own ability to discern right and wrong. We need to lean on the Lord's wisdom, power, and goodness, ready, completely, Amen. completely, not halfway there, but we need to rely on his wisdom, power, and goodness completely if we're going to discern what is right and wrong because of this generation that's just blurred it so much. We could just never know what's right and wrong. And if we're going to know, we have to completely lean on the Lord's wisdom, power, and goodness. We are not to be wise in our own eyes. In other words, we, are, we must not think that on my own, that on our own, without the help of God, we can make good calls and decisions for our lives. Let me say that again. We must not think that on our own, without the help of God, that we can make good calls and good decisions apart from God with His help in my life. The moment you think that you can make good decisions and good calls in your life without God is the moment you begin to drift from God. Because you do not have the same standard as God. And so something to God that might be called good, you might say it's evil, or something that God might call evil, you might call good. So for you to ask yourself, am I right with God? And to do, to do your own checking would not be good because you would not be able to find the solution because you've blurred good and bad. But God hasn't. And according to Proverbs 3, 5, 7, you got to lean on him completely. Go to Proverbs chapter number 28. Proverbs chapter number 28 right now. Proverbs chapter number 28. I'm going to read verse number 26. We must not lean on our own ability to discern right and wrong. And I'll get to the part reason why, because in Psalm 139, you understand David said, search me, search me. Okay. And we'll get to that. But in Proverbs chapter number 28, I want you to look with me at verse number 26. It says this, he that trusteth in his own heart is a what? A fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Again, it's saying you're a fool if you are leaning on your own judgment and wisdom to bring you somewhere good in life. Again, it says it. You're a fool if you're leaning on your own judgment and wisdom to bring, some, to bring you somewhere good in life. Notice how it says, he that trusteth in his own heart. And then in Proverbs 3, it says, our hearts need to be given to the Lord completely. You cannot trust in any bit of your heart. You cannot listen to any part of your conscience. Because like Paul said, I know that what dwelleth in me dwelleth no good thing. Whatever is going to come from me is going to be different than what God has to say about it. And so if you lean on your own judgment to answer the question, am I right with God? It's going to lead you down a road that is not good. You can never make a good decision apart from God's wisdom and power. You can never make a good, good decision. Go to Proverbs chapter number 26, two chapters back. Proverbs chapter number 26. And we'll read verse number 12 here. Proverbs 26, verse number 12. The Bible says this. Proverbs chapter 26, verse number 12. It says this. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? 
conceits, the idea of pride in oneself. Pride in oneself. Seest thou a man wise in his own pride in himself? The Bible says there is more hope of a fool than of him. Now let me describe to you here what the, what the person looks like. The, the Bible says a man wise in his own conceit. Who, what does that person look like? Describe that person. This person who is wise in his own conceit is someone who has very little sense. Very little sense, but is proud of it. You understand? Someone who has very little sense, but is proud of it. He thinks that his sense is much more than really what it is. In other words, man, I have great judgment. I'm a good judge of character. He thinks it's great, but little does he know it's really not great. He thinks he has good sense, but according to God's standard, he really doesn't. He thinks that his sense, he has more sense in himself than his neighbors have. He thinks that he has enough sense, which means that he doesn't need any more sense than what he already has because he trusts in himself. Now, there's a problem with that kind of person because God cannot work with someone who is proud. God cannot work with someone who thinks that they have it all together. I mean, didn't Jesus say that he came to seek and to save that which was lost? Didn't he say, I came not to save they that are whole, but they that are sick? Because why? They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick do. You don't go to a doctor and ask for meds when you're doing fine, because you're, you're fine. You need meds because you're sick. But according to this person, he's so wise and consumed with his own sense of knowledge and he's puffed himself up that he thinks he's good. He'll be the person that says, I'm right with God. That's the person right here. I'm right with God. I don't need any more growth. I've checked my own heart and I think I'm fine. As a matter of fact, I really don't have much more room to grow because I'm pretty good where I'm at and I'm probably better than most people in this church. You can also, this is very interesting here too. You can also describe this man as someone who makes a show of religion. And they, this is someone who concludes their spiritual state to be good when in fact it's very bad. Listen to me, this is dangerous. This is a person who concludes that their spiritual state is good. I'm fine, I'm right with God, when as a matter of fact, their spiritual state is very bad, like the church at Laodicea. You don't have to turn there, but Revelation chapter number 3, verse 17, talks about that people group. And the Bible says this, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and then Jesus said, you don't even know. You're actually wicked, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Yet you stand there and say, I'm rich, I'm increased with goods, I'm right with God. And God looks down and says, you have no idea. You think this whole time you're right with God. I'm fine. I don't need anything else. And God's up in heaven saying, no, you're not. You're wrong. You're wicked. You're naked. You're blind. You're poor. You need me and you don't even see it because you're too consumed with yourself. And you think you're good. Why? Because your standard of good and bad has been blurred very much. Because of what you watch, because of what we listen to, because of what everything that's going around us, relevancy is the most annoying thing in the world. Relevancy is what's true to me. It, look, if you can have your truth and I'll have my truth, but we can live with another. No, there's one truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth. Amen. Not the multiple truths, the way in the life. One way to heaven. There's not more than one way. But relevancy has blurred our vision. And the Bible says here that's dangerous. And you know what it says that we just read? There's more hope for a fool than that person. You say, why? 
Because at least a fool acknowledges the fact that he's a fool. That's why. If you study this out, at least a fool knows that he's a fool and he's messed up and he has faults in his life. You see, why, why is that person a good person? Because he's teachable. He's ready to be conformed into the image of God and transformed by the renewing of his mind. He acknowledged, but someone who says, I'm good enough, I'm right with God, well, then I can't work with you, God says. He resists the proud. But someone who acknowledges, listen, he's a fool. And you know, it's interesting, that leads us to 1 Corinthians 3.18, where you don't have to turn there once again, but the Bible talks about a person who seems to be wise. It says, don't be deceived, but that person who seems to be wise Tell him to become a fool first before he becomes wise. Why? We all, need to, we all need to start in the way back as a babe in Christ before we just think we, got, we get all puffed up and think that, listen, we're God's gift to this world, that we have it all together. And the Bible says, let that man who thinks he's wise, let him become a fool before he becomes wise because that person is more teachable. There's more hope of a fool than that kind of person. I want to give you an illustration here of my grandpa. And I, might, I may have given this to you before, but I just, I, I absolutely love, adore my grandpa, who has just been such a good, godly influence in my life. And I've had a lot of conversations with my grandpa, and, and I'd always see him, I really would, growing up, see him in his office, his Bible's open, and he has hundreds of notes that he's just written. And I'd always just go to him and ask him questions, and, and ask him especially about Revelation and end times. And I, and I remember this conversation we had in the car. And, and I told my grandpa, and, and we're talking about Revelation and end times, and he just uh, explained a passage to me that for me personally at that point in my Christian life just blew my mind. And I was just like, wow, the kind of knowledge my grandpa has, which is so amazing. And I said, abuelito, because I say in Spanish, grandpa, I was like, man, you know so much. And he, I just, I'll never forget this, that he looks at me and says, and yet, Reuben, he said, I'm going to die knowing nothing. And I just, once again... <laughs> I just remember thought it in my Christian life there. If you know that much and you say you're going to die knowing nothing, then what am I going to die knowing? Because <laughs> you know way more than me. But you know, my grandpa would study and study and study, but he never got to the point where he might have said, listen, I've arrived. I'm right with God. There's nothing left that I need to learn. I've read it Genesis to Revelation. I'm good. Now I'm just waiting to move on. My grandpa wasn't that kind of person. He understood he never arrived and you understood there's always room to grow. You hear me? There's always room to grow. Because we're all sinners. And there's always room to grow. And there's probably something in all our lives that we all need to work on. Right. Go to Proverbs chapter number 20. You see, the Bible says in the opposite here of what most men will do. My grandpa, I praise the Lord for his godly influence, will tell me, listen, I die knowing nothing. It's the humility my grandpa had. And I'm not trying to boast through him. That's through God's grace, but I'm thankful for that godly influence. But look at Proverbs chapter number 20, and at verse number 6 tells us what most people will do. And the Bible literally says the word most. Proverbs chapter number 20, and I want you to look with me at verse number 6. It says this in verse number 6. It says, most men, most men, not, not all men, but most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know, I've, I've witnessed to many people, and if you've ever been door knocking for an X amount of years in your life, you will come across somebody where most of the time when I try to present the gospel, before I just go into God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, and I ask, do you think you're a good person? Yes. 
just about to answer. Every time, almost every single person I've ever asked, do you think you're a good person? Yes. And by the time we get through the Ten Commandments, they realize, wow, I'm really not. Because God did a little bit of searching through just his moral law. You ever lied? You ever stolen? You ever lusted? You ever coveted? You ever disobeyed mom and dad? Dishonored? Idolatry? Blaspheme his name? You start going to them, they're like, wow, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Why? Because God's word started having a part, and he has the true measuring rod, the true standard of what good and bad is. But most men, that includes us, church, most men will tend to proclaim their own goodness. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, one chapter over. Proverbs chapter number 21. Solomon got this idea very well. He's seen this in his day. Proverbs chapter number 21, one chapter over. Look at me at verse number two. It says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Now, get this key here because we're going to come back to this. But the Lord pondereth the hearts. Every way of a man is right in his own, his own eyes. Once again, there it is. I'm good. I'm right with God. I don't need any more growth. I don't need any fixing. I'm looking forward to this revival, but I'm going to be praying for you guys while I'm sitting here because I'm good. But the Lord is who ponders the hearts. Sometimes a man is a poor judge of his own actions because unlike God, he ignores and he justifies his motives. Sometimes you and I, when we answer that question, look, I'm right with God. The reason why you, you have that question wrong and, you, and you're wrong with God is because you and I sometimes, we are a very poor judge of our own actions, but God isn't. We tend to justify and we tend to ignore our motives. And we try to do this consequentialism deal, that the end justifies the means. Because of what I, look, look at the good outcome of my life here, and look at what it brought. So I can excuse what's going on here. Or maybe there's no judgment in my life or chastisement, so I can excuse what's going on here through the means part. And we, according to the Proverbs 21-2, are very poor judges of our own actions because that's what we do. Unlike God, we tend to justify and ignore. Look at Proverbs chapter number 16. Proverbs 16. We'll get back to Psalm 139 here soon. But Proverbs chapter number 16. Proverbs chapter number 16. I encourage you to do this. This is a very good study. Proverbs chapter number 16 and verse number 2. The Bible says this, all the ways. Once again, just like Proverbs 21 to every way, Proverbs 16 to says all the ways. Again, sounds just like Proverbs 21 to. All the ways of a man are clean, again, in his own eyes. But it's the Lord who weighs the spirits. To evaluate or weigh something is to compare it with a standard. If the ways of a man are not compared to God's standards, they will all seem right and pure. Let me say that again. If the ways of a man are not compared to God's standards, they will always seem right and pure. If you never compare yourself to God's standard, you will always be right with God. All the time, every time you ask yourself that question. When revival comes, you'll always be right with God because you're not comparing yourself to God's standard. You're comparing yourself to your own conscience, which the Bible says, you do that, you're a fool. And there's more hope for a fool than for you because you think you're so wise, the Bible says, I think I'm so wise in my own eyes. I keep judging myself through my own eyes. But if you haven't gotten the idea, the Bible says, the Lord is who weighs the spirits, who ponders the heart. 
And so when we weigh ourselves, because that's what we'll do during revival here, when we weigh ourselves, we, don't, we should not weigh ourselves by our own human standards. We need to weigh ourselves because of what God's Word says. And you'll realize the more you weigh yourself compared to God's standard, the more you realize you've got a lot to work on. The more I realize I've got a lot to work on. Go to Proverbs 17.3. I love this verse, especially as, as we talk about this sub subject. This, this one is so neat. Proverbs chapter 17.3. We'll get back here to Psalm 139 real soon. Proverbs 17 and verse 3. It says, the fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold. But the Lord, again, but the Lord trieth the hearts. And this is really interesting. The fining pot was for silver and the furnace for gold, for refining it. It is what melted uh, metal. You think about the fining pot, the furnace, that is what melted metal at very high temperatures in order to refine them. To be tested is to be evaluated to see if something is genuine. And so in the process of silver and gold, they would turn on the furnace, turn on the fining pot, fi uh, fining pot to very high temperatures to make sure they were genuine and to make sure there were no impurities or unwanted elements in them. God does the exact same thing and does the exact same process with your heart and with my heart, if we let him. He evaluates our hearts and puts us on the hot seat. He puts our heart in the furnace, and he turns the temperature way up, and he shows us our impurities. David was sensible. Go back to Psalm 139 right now. Psalm chapter 139. David was sensible. David wasn't the fool. David wasn't the proud heart, the high look. David understood who he was before an all-holy God. And according to these verses, David would not fall into any of the negative part of these verses. David would be on the good side. He'd lean on the good side. Why? Because he was sensible. Because of, how do we know? Because of Psalm 139. He did not lean onto his own understanding to check to see if he was right with God. He would not measure his goodness by the standard of his own eyes and his own wisdom, but rather through the eyes and wisdom of the Lord. I mean, after all, who better to ask than God? God can make the most sensible judgment. Why? Because he sees all and he knows all. And this is the exact reason why we go back to Psalm 139. And we ask ourselves during revival when it comes up, am I right with God? Am I not right with God? Don't bother asking yourself that. Because if you measure it by your own standards, you will come up to be right with God every single time. But the moment you start comparing yourself, the moment I start comparing myself to God's standard is the moment that he starts revealing the impurities. He puts us on the hot seat and he starts refining our heart and showing us the things. And David, in this passage, goes to God to make sure he's right with him. And I just want to look at these three things here and we'll be done here tonight. But number one, let's look at Psalm 139. If you want to take notes, number one, this is all I wrote here. Psalms, Psalms 139 verses two through, two through six. We see number one, that God knows all. Psalm 139, two through six. Number one, God knows all. Look at that verse with me. Go to Psalm 139. <clears throat> look at verse number two. <clears throat> says this, David is saying to God, thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. 
Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. And look what he says here. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. This is called what we call God's omniscience, which means God knows everything there is to know about anything. Did you know that God cannot learn anything? You cannot teach God anything. You cannot give God you cannot give God more knowledge than what he already has. God cannot increase in his knowledge. However much knowledge he has right now is infinite, and he cannot increase in it anymore. You cannot teach him anything. That is what we call God's omniscience. And when David starts this passage out, and he says, Lord, thou hast searched me, and we'll get to, back to that, but he recognizes, number one, why go to God when we ask this question, am I right with him? Because, number one, God knows all. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, before I even say a thought, before I even think something, before I even say my next word, what's amazing to me is that God literally knew every single word I was going to say tonight before I even preached. That's amazing, isn't it? God knows every single word. All the words I jumble, and he has a, God has a struggle understanding me because I don't know how to talk right. Okay? Some of you all know that. Okay? But look, God knows every single word that I was going to say tonight before I even said it. Like this next word. Hello. God knew that I was going to say that next. Goodbye. You know I was going to say that too. Before it even came to my thought, God knew I was going to say it. I know everything. I know all, everything up here. Everything that you think. Everything that's in solitude, quiet, right up here. Before you even think it, before the next week. God knows what I'm going to do next week. Everything. And David says, Lord, you are all-knowing, number one. You are all-knowing. Number two, not, number one, not only does God know all, but number two, God sees all. Not only does God know all, number two, God sees all. Let's look at the next portion here, verses 7 through 16. It says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, you can't see me in the darkness, he says, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, as he says to God. God, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And here it is again, verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. And David's saying, listen God, not only do you know everything about me, but you know everywhere I've been, and everywhere I will go, guess what? You're going to be there. There's nowhere that I can go that I can get away from you, God. You know everything about me. You know every place I've been, and there's nowhere I'm going to go that you're not there. 
You've seen everything I've ever done in my life. Even when I thought the light was turned off and nobody saw, the night's like as day to you. And I was as transparent as could be before you, God. There is nowhere I could go from you, he says. Nowhere I can go from you, Lord. And David understood that. And this is going to play a part to why he prayed what he prayed. But number one, God knows all. Number two, God sees all. And by the way, conception here, to get rid of this abortion and killing a baby, that God knows the life in the womb. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean there's no life there. Because that's why, this is the whole point of this passage, is that God sees what we don't. That's the whole point of this passage. And he says, look, even in the secret parts, you saw me when nobody else could. Because God's eyes are beholding everywhere, the good and the evil. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, the Bible says, beholding evil good. So number one, God knows all. Number two, God sees all. Now the next portion I want us to look at is verse 21. Verse 21 and 22. This is a typical thing you and I do now. Look what he's going to do at verse 21. Or verse, yeah, verse 21. He says this. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Question mark. There's a question mark there. That's important. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? Question mark. So he goes into this thing. Look, God, you know all. Everything about me. The, the, the thoughts, the words before I say it. And God, you've been everywhere I've been. That's accountability, by the way. You've been everywhere. You, you know all and you see all. But then he starts asking this question like you. I mean, God, aren't I right with you? Look, God, they are bad, but aren't I good? Don't I set myself apart from them? Kind of that kind of questions that we ask ourselves. God, don't I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? And nevertheless, even though he seemed to be confident in himself, saying, look, this is how I feel. Nevertheless, he still prayed. Look at verse 23. Nevertheless, he still said, search me. Lord, I, I think I'm pretty good. I think I hate those that hate you, those that do wicked things. I'm against that, Lord, but nevertheless, search my heart. Oh God, know my thoughts. Try me, know my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what David just did? He asked God to try his heart. As gold is tried in a furnace. David asked God to put him in the hot seat that it might be uncomfortable, but it was worth it. The last key to revival right here is look at the very first verse. I skipped on purpose. Look at the very first verse. If you notice verse 23, present tense, search me, O God, as if that, that's what he was praying in the moment. Search me, O God, presently. But look at verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched, past tense, me and known, past tense me. You know what that tells me? David made this a part of his daily life. He didn't just one day say, God, search me. Every day he said, search me. He didn't just one day, Lord, I think I'm right with you, so I'm good. I won't pray that prayer. No, every night he prayed. I believe that. Search me. He said it in past tense. You have searched me already. You've known me, but today is a whole nother day. There could have been something today that maybe I didn't do yesterday. And so for that reason, God, search me and know my heart. And so, church, this prayer is something that you and I need to make a part of our daily life. And hopefully tonight you learned why. So will you ask God to try your heart in preparation for revival? Will you ask him every night, not just tonight, but re when revival comes, would you ask him to put your heart on the hot seat so that he can melt it and turn the temperature up and compare yourself to God's standard and truly see if you're right with God? I want to finish by reading the lyrics to a song that I love to sing. 
says this, Friend, how would you feel if your heart were made with a window on each side so that all could see not just outward charm, but detect if inward harm? People often see you as you are outside, but Jesus really knows you, for he sees inside. How about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. How about your heart? Is it right with God? Would you ask Christ in today? Or is it black with sin? Is it pure within? Would you ask Christ in to stay? Let's pray.